the 4th of July. It's good that both services here together today. Uh, we're sure who all would be or wouldn't be here today. I read that today is a record travel day in the history of the United States, that there's no, no more people that are traveling today than it ever, than it ever has. It's just record setting. So, um, except for all of us, and we're all here. So, but we're going to have a great time, all right? All right, you guys, isn't it, service been wonderful today? Just worshiping the Lord in His presence and seeing each other. It's just, just been a fantastic morning. And uh, as, we, as we're going to continue our series uh, in First and Second Timothy, we started this on Father's Day, and what we're talking about are the, the lessons, the instructions that Paul's giving Timothy, his spiritual son. Uh, he's passing on these truths, uh, and, and I began to see themes. And as I began to see themes... Um, we've been talking about those each week, and today there's a theme of, of pictures that Paul paints for Timothy. There's pictures of, of what it looks like to be who God has made us to be. First week, we talked about staying faithful. The second week, we talked about um, how to treat others. And today, we're going to talk about getting a picture of who God has made us to be and a picture of who God is making us to be. We're looking at those things this morning. And so as we're looking at that, as we're considering that, um, it's, it's, pictures are so powerful. It's been said that a picture is like a, a thousand words, right? We know that it's even, even more powerful than that. In 2015, I, I don't have the picture for you because I did that on purpose. But if you think about the year 2015, there was a picture that changed the world. This picture was a picture of a little two-year-old Syrian boy who was trying to leave with his family from Turkey and cross the sea and go to Greece. And this little boy drowned, and he was laying on the beach. Do you know what picture I'm talking about? You can see it in your mind, can't you? That one picture changed the way the whole continent of Europe began to respond to the refugee crisis out of Syria and the Middle East. That one picture, because pictures are powerful. They stay with us. And this letter that Paul is writing Timothy, he's writing it from prison. He doesn't know if he'll see him again. And he's giving him these instructions. And as he's giving him these instructions, he is... He's, he's laying this out before him, and he's trying to draw this picture. He's trying to make this picture of what it is like to be who God has, has called and made us to be. First and foremost, we're a son or daughter of God. That's the very first thing. And if, even if you look on the app, uh, I know in your, in, your, in your bulletin the notes are blank, but if you look on the app, they're all on there as well, and you can write them down um, on your notes. The very first thing is we have to understand that we are son and daughter of the Most High God. That's the very, very first thing. That beyond anything else, that we understand that we're son and daughter of the Lord. That in fact, this is the spiritual father, Paul, who's sharing this with Timothy. He's pouring this into him. First John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And I know that can be a loaded picture for many. I know that many have not grown up in families where there's been family health, where the relationship with a father has, has not been what it, what, it, what it could be, what it should have been. And what we have to be able to do is to come to know our Heavenly Father in such a way that we know Him for who He is. And that, as we sang earlier, that we have this revelation, we have this understanding that He really is a good 
good father, that he's helping us, that he strengthens us, that he is there for us, and that he resources us for that. And so there's five pictures that we're going to talk about this morning beyond in addition to being a son or daughter of the Lord. And the first one is a soldier. A soldier. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, I'm going to read, um, read some things that aren't on the screen. It just says, you then, my son, here again talking about this relationship of being a son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, trust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. He, he goes here in verse 3, he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier who like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer. And so he's saying here, he's drawing a picture for Timothy. He's helping Timothy. This is what it's like, Timothy, to really give your life to the Lord, to really serve him. He's saying it's like being a soldier. And he's saying you're going to face some tough times. It's going to be difficult. And when it's difficult, when it's rough, he's saying take it on the chin. That's what the message translation said. There's going to be some difficulties. But like a good soldier, be faithful and be there. And as Paul's writing this, he's writing it from prison in Rome. Probably there's a soldier there as his guard. And so he's seeing this picture of a soldier and he, uh, right in front of him. And he, so he translates that picture to Timothy. And he's like, that's what it's like. It's like being a soldier. That there's hardship in being a soldier. It makes me think of Abraham, who we know who Abraham was, was a child of the Lord. We also know he was a friend of God. And as we think of Abraham being a friend of God, uh, we, it's easy to forget the hardship and the difficulty that Abraham went through. That he was called to a land that he didn't know. He was called to live among strangers. He was promised a child, yet that promise was delayed for years and years and years. And then once that they did receive the promise of Isaac, then the Lord asked him to sacrifice him and give him to him. And they placed him on the altar. We know the Lord intervened, but he had that crisis moment. If I was writing out a description of somebody that was a friend of God, I think in my, my, my mind, I would have built in less difficulty for Abraham. But that's not, being a friend of God does not mean there's not difficulty. Being a son of the Lord, daughter of the Lord, doesn't mean there's not difficulty. It means he's there with us in it, that there's a relationship there, that he's walking with us as we walk through that in life. And so he says here to Timothy, join me in this suffering. There'll be difficulties and, and, and be a good soldier. As I think of a good soldier, I think of the hardships that soldiers have to face, the difficulties uh, that, they, that they have to face. I think of the focus that they have to have. Uh, it says here, and it says here that no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. That as you're busy being a soldier, you you can't you can't your mind can't be preoccupied those things that would distract you from the task that's at hand. Our son-in-law, uh, Parker, he he serves in the Navy on, a, on an aircraft carrier, the USS uh, Theodore Roosevelt, and. When they're out to sea, it's so frustrating for our daughter Maddie because she has no communication with him. Now, we know that with technology, there's ways they could make it happen. But if they had 5,000 men and women on this ship being worried about all the affairs at home, everything they're trying to do, there wouldn't be the focus that they need when they're out at sea. And so when they're out at sea, it's all hands on deck, right? 
And, and they're working to accomplish their objectives. Our daughter has power of attorney. Uh, she has everything that she needs to do everything that she needs for her husband because he is not available when he's, when he's, when he's out serving. And as us, as soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the world around us can be so distracting. There can be so many things that would get our attention, that would pull us away from, from what God would have for us. And part of being a good soldier is, one, being able to endure hardship, but it's also being able to stay focused on those things that matter for the kingdom of God and not getting off track with that. In 1 Timothy, we see the same thing that Paul's telling, telling Timothy here. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. And he's referring to previously, he was talking about causing strife and greed. He says, flee from those things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, endurance, and gentleness. And then he says, fight the good fight of faith. There's, there's a struggle that we're in. We know the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, rulers, uh, powers of darkness, that there's a spiritual warfare that we're in. And as we're in this, that it's that we flee from the things of this world and we pursue the things of God, that we go after him and that we do that. It's very interesting here. It says that, they, that, that he's not, the soldier's not involved with all the civilian stuff because he's trying to please his commanding officer. Our commanding officer is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Greek there says the one who enrolled you. And so as the Lord has brought us into his army, we have this picture of being soldiers that everything we do needs to be a direction from our commander, Lord Jesus Christ, that we're not out on our own, that we're in relationship with him, that our, our heart, our objective, our focus is, yes, sir, what do you have to say? It's what are you instructing us? What are you calling us to do? Imagine an army that wasn't listening to their commanding officer, right? It'd be chaos, wouldn't it? And sometimes the church is chaos because we're not listening to our commanding officer, that we're not doing what God has called us to do, what he's, what he's spoken to us to do. And, and so we have to be listening to him. We have to be listening to his orders. And we're a part of something larger than ourselves, uh, that we're a part of a great army, a worldwide army. And, and as we are a part of this, that we each have our place to play. We each have our part to do. We each are soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that even if you think in a military context, a military setting, um, it's, it's not everybody does the same thing, do they? They have to have supply lines, they have to have logistics, have to have all these different aspects. It takes everybody to accomplish the mission. It's going to take every single one of us to accomplish the mission of making disciples of all nations. That is something we all have to do together of what God has called us to do. A few weeks ago, we were uh, traveling on the East Coast in New England, and we were able to see so many uh, monuments, so many um, uh, places in history that were so significant to the birth of our nation. And as we're at July 4th weekend, my mind has been thinking about just the sacrifice of what those that have gone before us, that it birthed our nation with the Revolutionary War, and then soldiers that for, for the last hundred years, 200 200-so years that have been laying down their life so that we can have the freedoms that we have. Friends, part of being a good soldier in the army of the Lord is being willing to sacrifice, being willing to lay down our lives for others. That what we have today in our nation and as believers is because of the sacrifice that others have paid that have gone before us. And so the question I ask myself, the question I ask us is, what is our life going to be like 
What's, gonna, what's the legacy we're going to leave? What's it going to be like after us? What are we doing for those that are coming after us? How is that going to be? Are we going to sacrifice? Are we going to do what it takes for those that are coming after us? Maybe you've heard the name Nathan Hell. Nathan Hell was a, a patriot. He was the spy who, who George Washington sent to spy on New York City and was caught by the British. And you may remember his famous lines. Before they hung him up on the gallows of September 22nd, 1776, they asked him if he had anything to say. And this is what the British officers wrote in their, in their journals, in their records, is that he said, my only regret is I have just one life to give for my nation. Wow. That we would have that same heart, that we would have that same willing of sacrifice. So the first picture is a soldier. The second picture is a picture of an athlete. So he's saying, Timothy, you're a soldier. Timothy, you're an athlete. Second Timothy 2.5 says, also, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except competing according to the rules. The message translation says, a player who refuses to play by the rules will never get anywhere. We understand that, don't we? That, that this is a picture of, he's saying, if you just want to do whatever you want to do, when you want to do it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, he's saying to Timothy. It'd be like somebody, it'd be like a basketball player refusing to dribble the basketball. It's like, what? Like, that's, that's not going to work. It's like a soccer player wanting to use his hands all the time. That's, that's not how you do it. That's, that's not the rules. And, and, and I think that so often we can have like these negative connotations or these, these negative ideas of what rules mean. And what he's saying here, he's saying, he's, saying, I'm, he's saying, Timothy, I'm giving you instructions on how to live. I'm giving you instructions on how to do life, on how to do ministry, on how this works. And he's like, and if you don't follow these instructions, it is not going to work. And so he goes, I'm letting you know up front that, th- that there's a way it works and the way it doesn't work. And if you try to do it the way it doesn't work, it's simply not going to work. Because he wants him to finish, wants him to finish well. You know, the greatest, some say the greatest athlete of all, of all time anywhere in history is a man named Jim Thorpe. Many of you may not know who he is. I know who he is because he was born about 45 minutes north of where I grew up. And, and so I had Oklahoma history. And so uh, he was one of the great um, people that came from the state of Oklahoma. And so we studied his life. Uh, Jim Thorpe was born in the late 1800s. Uh, he, was a, he was a part Native American. He was part of the Sac and Fox Nation, which is just, just north of where, where I grew up. And, and, and so what happened in those days, the first part of the, ni- of the 1900s, early part of the 20th century, is that they would take Native American kids and they would send them to schools to, and it's a, it's a really like dark mark on our, on our history, on our nation, but they would try to take, as some would say, take all the Indian out of them and make them like white people. And so they would take away culture, they would take away language, and so they had them in these large boarding schools of what they would say, trying to civilize them. 
And so he had gone to school in Pennsylvania, and he was at this boarding school in Pennsylvania. And while he was there, maybe you've heard of a, of a coach named Pop Warner. Well, Pop Warner was his coach, and, and he was coaching uh, football as well. And he wanted to play football, but he was such a great track athlete that Pop, Pop Warner didn't want him to play football until he started playing football. And nobody could catch him. Nobody could stop him. He was an amazing, amazing athlete. And in fact, in the 1912 Olympics in Sweden, he went and he represented the United States, and he won the pentathlon, he won the decathlon, uh, he just cleaned house. And as the king of Sweden put the, the, the crown on him, put the medals around his neck, he said, you are the greatest athlete that has ever lived. And in fact, many still say that today. Um, he was just, he was huge. He was all muscle. And if you look at athletes in that day, they weren't like they are now. And he was just, I mean, he was this big ripped guy. You can Google him. You can look at it. Uh, he just, he was an amazing athlete. He went on to play professional baseball. He went on to play professional football. Uh, he started what was before the NFL and was the leader of that. He played professional basketball. I mean, this guy was an amazing, an amazing athlete. And the records that he set, even in the Olympics, were amazing. But something happened. A couple of years before he went to the Olympics, during the summers of his college days, he played a couple of summers of minor league baseball. And the custom of that day was for college players to, pay, to play minor league baseball, and they would change their name. They would use aliases. And so when they got paid, they got paid, got paid about $2 a game. When they got paid, nobody would know who they were, so it wouldn't compromise their amateur status. Well, he didn't know that. He didn't know there was anything wrong with playing baseball in the summer. And so he didn't change his name. And so after he won the Olympics, it had come out that he had played baseball in North Carolina. And when the Olympic Committee found that out, that he had played, so he had been paid a couple of bucks for some baseball, they stripped him of all his medals, all his records to this day. They're not in the record book. How sad is that? That this amazing, amazing athlete was stripped of all of that because technically he broke the rules. I don't want to be that kind of person. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get to the end and realize I was disqualified. I want to follow the Lord with everything. I want to, I want to play according to the rules. I want to live my life according to these instructions. And that's what he's telling Timothy. He's telling him those very things. So he's telling him to be a, a good soldier. He draws a picture of a soldier. He draws a, the picture of an athlete. And then he draws for him the picture of a farmer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 6 and 7. He says, a hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. He goes, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. The message says this. The message says, it's the diligent farmer who gets the produce. I'm just curious. Uh, I'll just do a survey here. Anybody here ever worked on a farm? Just, just let me see. Yeah, we, all right. This is, we got quite a few. That's great. I had the, the I'll call it a privilege. I had the privilege of going and working on my uh, uncle's farm in South Dakota growing up during summers. And I'm telling you, farmers work hard. I mean, before the sun comes up, it's, it's, it's milking cows, it's collecting eggs, it's getting the, the tractors ready for the day, and it's all day long, off until after dark. And it's hard. And I mean, you know, farmers, they just don't work when they want to, do they? It's not just, it's, it is, it's all consuming. A farmer, that is his or her life. I mean, that is everything. They are consumed with that. That is, that is, that is everything. 
And that's what he's saying to us. He's saying, he's saying, be like a farmer. Be all in in the kingdom of God. Be diligent. Be all there. Be, let it not, not consume in a negative way, but in a very positive way. Let it be what your life is about. Because he's saying there's reward that comes with that. There's blessing that comes with that. Just as a farmer receives blessing from his farm, so it is as, as, as farmers in the, in the harvest field of God, there's blessing for us as we give our life of, of diligence, of serving him. I, I think some about, about what it takes to be a farmer. I know one of the things it takes to be a farmer is patience, doesn't it? Farmer has to be patient. They also have to have a, be a person full of faith. Because here they take seed, and they plant seed in the ground, hoping that there'll be a harvest. Do they have any control over that? I mean, you know, water, fertilizer. I mean, that's about it, right? I mean, it takes something miraculous of what God has put into nature for a harvest to come about. And so it is that when we serve the Lord, as we give our lives to him, as we're diligent like a farmer, that there's patience, that there's faith, that, Lord, we believe that we really do reap what we sow, that, Lord, we really do believe that you're faithful, even when we don't see it. There's a lot of times a farmer doesn't see that crop. It takes a while for it to come up, but he has faith that it's going to happen. And so it is for us that we have faith that this really, the Lord is really going to do what he said he's going to do, that the Lord really will be faithful. And as we think about this, as being like farmers, we know that, that, we know that Jesus told his disciples, he said, pray for laborers. He said, pray for more farmers because the harvest is ready. The harvest is right there. And the Lord's saying that to us today, that all that he has, that his kingdom that he wants to expand across the earth, the influence that he wants even us to have, of the difference he wants us to make around the world. He's saying, pray for more farmers. Pray for more laborers, those that will get their hands dirty, working, working for the kingdom of God. Uh, one of the, the first pastor that ever hired me uh, to be a youth pastor was in California, and, and uh, Heather and I worked with him for a couple of years. Uh, his name is Jack Pertel. And Jack, uh, he was in his early 60s uh, when, I, when he was my pastor, when I served him as his youth pastor. And he had, he had only been pastoring about 10 years because he had been a cotton farmer for the first 50 years of his life, a very successful cotton farmer in West Texas and in Brownfield, Texas. And there's a story that I find just amazing, which is a great illustration of what it means to be a farmer in, in, in the life of, of my good friend, Jack Pertel. Uh, this, is, this is how it goes. Uh, he, had, he had known the Lord. Uh, he had, I think he was raised in like a Methodist church. He had, he had had a nominal relationship with the Lord. He kind of had shown up a few times a year with his family and kind of knew the knew the Lord, but didn't like really know, know the Lord. And he had started attending the Foursquare Church that was there in Brownfield, Texas, and the Lord turned his life around. He, began, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and just God began to move in his heart and in his life, and he began to tithe. Which tithing is giving the first 10% of our income to the Lord. We see it in Malachi chapter 3. There's many places in Scripture where we have this instruction to bring this, the first fruits, the very first of our labor, the very first of our income to the Lord and give it to Him. It belongs to Him. It's a tithe. And so Jack was faithful to tithe. Uh, he tithed, but, but the Lord moved on him to do something uh, be above and beyond the tithe, an offering. 
And so what the Lord, what he really felt like the Lord wanted him to do, and he wanted to do it, is he wanted to give a portion of his farm to the Lord's work. And, and so whatever that portion would produce, that would be the Lord's. And he did this for many, many years. Uh, maybe a missions project the church was doing or a building project, whatever it might be, that was going to be it. And so what he did, he called the pastor, uh, who's a friend of mine that I knew as well. Uh, he called the pastor. He called the church council because all the church council members were farmers as well as a farming community. So he brings them out to his farm. He has four cotton farms. And he says, you guys pick the portion of the farm that you want to be uh, for, we'll call them God's acres, and, and, and they'll be his. And whatever they produce, it belongs to him. I'm going to give it to the church. Whatever it is, it's, it's completely his. And so, you know, what did they do? They went and studied all four farms. They found the very, very best pieces, and they said, that's what we want. And he said, all right, great. And so he just did what he always did. He was a great farmer. Well, a few weeks into, the, into this season, this growing season, they were invaded by insects. And he came and, 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 you know, the pastor, he was asking how the crops were doing, right? Because he was very interested uh, to see how this was going to turn out. It was the first time he had done this. And, and, and Jack goes, you know, we have more insects this year than we've ever had. That I've, you know, I, I always put insecticide down. I always treat it. But for some reason this year, the insects are really, really bad. In fact, he had never had to use a crop duster, which crop duster is a plane which drops, drops chemicals. Um, uh, pesticides or whatever it might be, whatever situation is. He'd never had to use one before. That year, he had to use two. He had to get a crop dusted twice. A few weeks later, the pastor asked Jack, hey, how are those crops coming along? He said, this year, the weeds are the worst they've ever been. The weed, I've, I always weed. We've weeded. We had to do two more times of weeding. It's worse than it's ever been. The weeds are just coming up around the cotton. And so they go, and, and, and it's just a rough, rough year. And so they harvest. They harvest this cotton. And, and they take it to the gin, and, and the pastor, he's just, I mean, he's just really hesitant to, to find. I mean, he just, you know, he just feels really bad for Jack. And so what they do when they, um, when they evaluate cotton, they look at the grade and they look at the, sta- at the staple. They look at how quality it is and how strong it is, the strength of it. And so uh, when the when the when the cotton gin called Jack, they said, well, they said, normally you produce two bales of cotton per acre. He said, but this year, you're only able to produce three quarters of a bale per acre. So he went from, I mean, he was giving this to God, right? Like, what's going on here, right? So, so he gave, so it went from two bales per acre to three quarters of an acre. And then he said, he said, and it's the worst grade, it's the worst staple, the worst strength that's ever been. It's really, really low-quality cotton. I want to let you know that. And so they called back a few weeks later after they sold the cotton, and they said, you know what? They said, this is the first time this has ever happened, but the demand for low-quality cotton was the highest it's ever been. It was record-setting numbers, and you've made more money this year than in all of your career. Isn't that wild? That's what it means to be a farmer for the Lord, that regardless of insects, regardless of weeds, regardless of difficulty, that we stay faithful. We do what we know, what we're called to do, and we don't pass judgment on an experience until it's over, until we've walked all the way through it. Because sometimes, isn't it true, right in the middle of it, 
we want to just think that's it. But we got to get all the way through something to really see how God has come through. And friends, sometimes we don't even see it in this lifetime. Sometimes it's even after us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so we need, to, we need our commanding officer's thoughts. We need to be following him. We need to be in a relationship with him. And then he, he paints the next picture for Timothy. He he paints a picture of a soldier, a, a, a picture of an athlete, a picture of a farmer, and then a picture of a worker, of a worker, like, like a contractor. And he says here in 2 Timothy two fourteen and 18, he says, keep reminding God's people of these basic, basic things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Don't get into arguments about things over Scripture. Not, I mean, yes, we have to hold to the truth of Scripture, but it's just, there's a lot of stuff in life that's just rabbit trails, just side stuff. He's like, there's no value in that stuff. It only ruins those who listen. He says, do your best to present yourself as one who is approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. What this is saying here is he's saying, know the word of the Lord in such a way that you, can, you won't be ashamed, that you can handle it with integrity, you can handle the word of the Lord, you can handle the word of truth with skill, and in and, and a, a very positive way that you can be, be proud of, of, of being able to really know Scripture, and again, not in a negative way, but just, yeah, that I'm approved, that I've done my homework, that, I've, that I know the word of the Lord, that I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him. The idea here of, um, of one who correctly handles, is, it's kind of like that idea of a farmer. It's one who can plow a straight row. It's uh, another uh, a nuance in the Greek um, of explaining it would be like one who can cut a path in the woods and the path is straight. Another illustration of it is like a contractor, a carpenter, who can saw a straight line on a board, who can cut a board straight. And you know that doesn't happen just by accident, right? I, I'm not a great. I'm not a great craftsman. Um, you know, if I start getting power tools out, the kids and the dogs start running at our house. You know, it's that kind of a thing. But you know, I can try and cut a board. I can try to mark it. I can try to do all those things. Well, it's rare I ever get anything right the first time. But but if I'm with somebody that knows how to do that, they've done it so much. It's like they can just take a board and just zip, and they just. I mean, it's just easy for them. You know what I'm talking about? You know why it's easy? Because they've done it a lot. Because it's like, it's like muscle memory. It's like they just know it. They just know how to do it. And he's saying that's the imagery here is that with the word of the Lord, that when we approach the word of the Lord, it's not strange to us. It's not unfamiliar to us. We know it. It's in our heart. We're familiar with it. We can handle it. We can, we can cut a straight path, and it will cause us to cut a straight path with, with our life. The next picture that he draws for us here is a picture of a vessel. Picture of a vessel. I like the way the message says, 2 Timothy 2, 20-22. It says, in a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but there's waste cans and compost buckets. Some containers are used to serve fine meals, others to take out the garbage. Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guest for their blessing. The NIV says this in, in 22. It says, flee 
evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That he's saying, be a vessel of honor. Be a vessel of honor, Timothy. He's like, be clean. Flee from those things that are not of the Lord, that are not holy, that are not righteous, and pursue Pursue righteousness. Go after faith, after love, after peace, and let him wash that vessel. Let it be a holy vessel. Be a set-apart vessel. Use that the Lord could use us for whatever he would want. That that's the kind of vessel that we would be in the hand of the Lord. And I like the way the New King James Version puts it. It says a, a holy vessel or an unholy vessel. Here we have a picture of a of a of a. Uh, Say a, a a vessel of honor is what the NIV. So this is a this is a vessel, a pitcher of honor. You see, that's a pitcher of honor. And next we have a pitcher of dishonor. Just want you guys to see that a pitcher of dishonor. There you go. Moving right along. That's for Cardinal fans out there. There we go. Last picture is a picture of a servant. Picture. Of a servant, Second Timothy two twenty three through twenty six, he says, "Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments." I mean, he, do you, are you hearing a pattern here? He's like, honor each other with your words. Don't get into just quarrels and and needless arguments about stuff that's not really going to matter. He's saying, pursue the things of God, flee from the things that are not of God. And he goes, because they produce quarrels. And he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach. Then to not be resentful. He's saying here, you're a servant of the Most High God. The Greek word here is one of slave, that you're a slave, that you belong to Him, that He has bought us with a price, that we are not our own, and that we are to serve Him. And it's a, but it's a privilege to serve Him, it's an honor to serve Him, that He is our Lord, He is our Master, He is our Father, He is our friend. And as we understand our role, our role is not to tell him what to do. Our role is to hear him and to partner and to obey. And he's telling Timothy, he's like, Timothy, if you can understand who you are in the Lord, how he's made you, how he's forming you, shaping you to the image of his son, that it'll, it'll make a huge difference in the lives of those around you. He's saying, I want you to be a good soldier. And I want you to endure. I want you to be willing to sacrifice, to lay your life on the line for others. He's saying, I want you to be an athlete of one who pursues and one who does it with excellence and does it the right way. He's saying, I want you to be like a farmer. I want you to be diligent. I want you to be full of faith. I want you to be full of patience. I want you to hang in there for the long haul. He's saying, I want you to be a vessel. I want you to be a servant. He's saying, I want these things for you. Because if you do, he's saying, the lives around you will be changed. The lives around you will be different. And it's the same message to us today. As we become who God has called us to be, as, we, as our lives become a picture of these different things, then the Lord can use us to change the life of those around us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?